It is good to be back in the studio. What is up, homies? It is the L-E-F-K-O-E man, and I am joined by a very special guest today. His name is Warren Sharp. You've heard me mention it many times. I read his book. We've shared some DMs, and now you're here live in the studio. It's good to have you, man. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I want to get into who you are, what you're doing, how I feel like it's been 2018-19, the year of you, and everyone looking at analytics and not being afraid in the NFL anymore. I think it went from, well, this is a sport where we don't do analytics, to, holy shit, maybe we should throw the ball on first down. So I want to get to all that, but let me just talk to the homies really quick if that's cool. All right, so... Uh, guys, I've been on the road, and this has been insane. And I'm just going to uh, open it up to you and be honest. I was in Atlanta. I did the whole fast break thing, and I was live for four days. I think I did like 32 hours of live TV, which I'm going to be honest, it'll knock your ass out, Warren. It's a little crazy. Uh, from that, I went to Lexington, did a shoot with Josh Allen. Uh, could be a top five pick out of Kentucky. That podcast will be coming. I think in two weeks we're going to do a bunch of draft prospects. I recently interviewed John Abram, the safety out of Mississippi State, and I'm telling you right now, it is the most honest interview I've ever had. He came after Nick Bosa. He called himself the best safety in the draft. All he wants to do is pop people, and I may or may not have freestyled in the beginning of the interview, Warren. (laughs) It may have come out. So that's coming up in the next few weeks as well. Uh, Just to kind of break it down, this is... I'm happy to be back. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of news and notes with Warren, and then we're going to kind of get into his story. Uh, and then, yeah, next week I'm going to be in Minneapolis for the Final Four, doing some Twitter live shows uh, at the Final Four. If you live in Minneapolis, I know we had a good time at the Super Bowl last year. Uh, hit me up on social, and we can make this work. All right, so, Warren, NFL uh, league meetings are going on, and Every year, there's a new rule on the table, and every year, nothing happens. So I didn't read into it for real this year. But now all pass interference calls can be challenged. Calls, non-calls, and I'm, I'm shocked. Uh, I'm surprised. I thought that what we saw with the Nickel Roby Coleman hit was a once-in-a-lifetime non-call. I thought it was a freak occurrence. In your world, it's a supreme outlier. And yet we're changing this now, and I saw you tweet out, what happens in Hail Marys? Because if you've ever seen a, a highlight of a Hail Mary, there's like 17 stiff arms. It, is this good for right now and maybe bad long term? Like, what's your read on this whole thing? I think it's good because the league is being progressive, and technology is improving. Mm. We have more camera angles, better camera speed, better camera operators. So it makes perfect sense to be able to incorporate that technology to better get the games right. And I think one of the big things that the league has, like Goodell, the commissioner, is always about the integrity of the league, the integrity of the league. Well, it doesn't look very good on the league when they have the ability to use replay, but yet they're having these egregious calls and that's all anybody's talking about for the very next week after a game ends. so terrible. Yeah, you tweeted out the video of it and you were like, can you imagine? And it got like 67,000 likes. In yeah. It because it was a seminal moment of a video that was so blatant. But slow motion of pass interference calls sometimes are wildly subjective. Oh, yes. And and this one, that's what I mean. This one was so blatant. But I don't think they're going to be this blatant in the future. I, I could see us sitting there and watching highlight replays for five minutes at the end of a game and 
I don't know. Like it, it kind of scares me to be honest. It, it should. I think it should scare all the fans because we don't really know. I think the good one good thing about it is that we probably aren't going to have as many coaches challenge spot fouls like spot mm. spot because they're going to want to save those penalties right. you know challenges for when there's something like a pass interference call sure. the team that's down in a game always will have now the option to throw the ball deep inside that two minutes and the coach doesn't even have to use the challenge right of course the penalty could come on that team it could be opi offensive but yeah you know i, I think that's the part I'm most concerned about. I'm okay with a coach being able to once a game challenge something that the refs just missed. I mean, they're going to make mistakes and miss. What's going to happen, though, you're right, we're going to have situations where all the announcers are going to talk about, well, the coaches are out of their challenges, and that was one that should be challenged. And now right. on every single time that there is a questionable replay, yeah. you know that the coaches don't have challenges anymore, the uh, the commentators are just going to keep talking about yes. it incessantly during the Let's game. Let's bring so in Gene's territory in the booth. Right. Yeah. So there are going to be very annoying um, situations where it's going to kind of uh, invade the rest of our viewing pleasure of watching the game because we're always going to be thinking on every pass – could this be challenged? And if the guy actually had challenges, would this have been overturned? Is there a way to use this strategically for coaches? Like you were saying, like last two minutes of the game, does it just become lob city and you're kind of looking for contact and try to initiate contact? Because now we're going we're gonna to go to the booth. We're going to go to New York. Right. Well, there's certain types of routes are more likely to draw PI calls on the defense. Oh, you're going to talk dirty to me. So, okay, so what are the routes? What so gets the most? It's, it's the go routes get some of the most. Yep. Also, some of like your um, deep post routes, your fly routes, like those are the types yeah. of routes that get Love the balls. most calls. The, the the balls where like the uh, air yards on the pass are like 20 plus yards down the field. Mm. The short routes, you can jam inside the first five yards. You can hold a little bit anyways. So those calls aren't, you know, the short pass. Passes sure. aren't going to be as plus EV, but the deeper passes where this could be utilized. So I think there will be coaches that are going to strategically, and not mm. all of them get on this as quickly. You know, you're going to have like the Baltimore Ravens, who still wants to run the football a ton, and the Dallas Cowboys, who still wants to run the football a ton. Yeah. But some of the more progressive coaches are going to realize that some of the deeper passes, look at the Philadelphia Eagles. They just got Deshaun Jackson. Hell Carson yeah, we Wentz did. has a ton of accuracy down the field, but he doesn't. He wasn't able to keep healthy players on those deep passes down the field. Matt Collins got hurt all those guys all those guys last yes. year even the year before during a, when they won Torrey the Super Bowl Tory Smith, Torrey Smith yes. got hurt wasn't there at the end so now you got Deshaun Jackson he can run those deep routes that are called often on PIs so those types of teams where they throw the ball down the field a little bit more often are going to be able to stand to gain more I just can already feel it happening in like a week one week two game where we're sitting there and it's Al Michaels and Collinsworth and we're going is this going to be a whole season of this it should be interesting I thought the news that I heard Rappaport saying was Belichick is the reason this got passed and the story that he said on NFL Network was they're getting ready to go to lunch and take that famous coach's picture which they take every year and Belichick said let's eat lunch in here and let's get this done because it's very rare that the owner's ratify something that the coaches are trying to pass. Usually, like, we've seen this in years past where the coaches leave and the owners pass something and the coaches are like, what the hell just happened? So it's weird the coaches got this done, but I, it feels good. It feels like we get the Sean Payton memes of him smiling and it feels good, but like, if I'm a Saints fan, I mean, this doesn't make me feel any better about last year. It doesn't. No, 
But no. it feels right, but I could also see it getting really annoying very quickly. It could. The one weird weird thing that could happen is it could be something like the helmet-to-helmet rule, which was such a massive story over the summer. Overcalled in preseason. Overcalled. Right, right, right. And then, and then they just went back in the season and completely dialed it back. All yeah. of our fears came to nothing because it was rarely called, right. only in the most egregious situations. But I think the it's fact like that now— It's like a floating out that they might sign Colin Kaepernick, then seeing the reaction and then right. going, oh, no, we're the Baltimore Ravens. We shouldn't do that. Yeah, you let Sorry, the air balloon go up. up. Old shit, yeah. No, you, you let the air balloon go up. See what ha- see exactly. what the response is. But I do think because the coaches can challenge this, it'll be interesting to see how those rulings go. Mm. If the ruling is like in the first few rulings in the season, in the regular season, if the ruling is like, well, it wasn't egregious enough, right. then maybe we won't see it quite as often. If the coaches lose their challenges because it's not clear and obvious. But as you mentioned earlier, most passes tend to have pi there's grabbing yes. there's tugging a so if they're going something if you can get like on a 30 yard pass down the field or a pass into the end zone where a guy just grab the guy's arm for a second right. and then they're going to give you first and goal on the one then coaches are going to exploit that as much as possible it. all right so the voice you're hearing again is warren sharp you can follow him on social media at sharp football i'm just reading your twitter bio predictive nfl analytics and visualized data at sharpfootballanalysis.com uh you you work for almost everybody at this point and I, I realized we need to introduce you before we get to uh, some of the news and notes. We're going to get to Cam Newton. We're going to get to Jane Winston getting fat. And we're going to get to Colt McCoy drinking milk. Trust me. But um, where did you come from? And because I feel like you've been this rocket ship that's come out of nowhere. Uh, what's the story? How do you explain this to people in your in your elevator pitch? So I have a light, uh, professional engineering license. I studied school, civil engineering, got my degree, worked in that field. But while I was in college, I was developing computer algorithms for sports betting. Mm. And I Is this for your own betting or for friends or for companies? For, for a little bit of everything. Nice. So I developed it for myself first and foremost. Started posting back that was this is back before Twitter. So I was yeah. posting on message boards. I was posting here's what I think is going to happen in these games, you know, these are the bets that I would take. Uh, you know, this this is what I'm doing. This is what you guys should like just right. track and uh, they started doing really well and so after a couple of years of that like some guys who actually bet big time out in Las Vegas work with some of the biggest names that you know of in the sports betting world reached out to me like hey come out to Las Vegas we want to talk oh, to you they're looking for the edge they're looking for the edge so they wanted to get my information you know uh, on the side so I started doing that then I started posting a blog and putting stuff out there and developed a little website where I was putting stuff out there yeah. and then I got more and more into uh the analytics side of things, because that was giving me a bigger edge with what I was betting on. Mm. Uh, I was basically discovering that the more that I study the intricate matchups and the edges, the more that I could, I know the Vegas sports books, they're not looking at that information. You'll look at things like, how does a team defend interior runs versus the success of an offense's ability to run in the interior and and see, oh, there's a huge gap here. One team is far superior to the other, and it doesn't mean that's how the game is going to go, but it could be an edge that teaches you about over-unders or totals or something like that. Exactly. So I try to use everything that I glean from, you know, to help me in my sports betting, but sharing so much on social media and new information that I'm coming up with in research uh, and, and the book that I wrote attracts the attention of teams. There's sure. so many teams that are out there that are kind of like surfing Twitter and looking for information and nuggets that can help them. What year was the first year a team contacted you? 
Um, actually, it was a few years ago that a team contacted me. A couple of various teams did, and I talked with people there, but it never developed into anything. Mm. Last year was the first year that a team actually, there were four teams that were very serious and reached out. I ended up uh, signing on board with one team to be a consultant with them and yep. help them uh, come up with their game plans for their opponents each week. Holy shit, and Warren, that's amazing. It was, it was a lot of fun, too. Are you allowed to say the team or no? I can't. I signed NDA, so I'm not allowed okay. to share that. But uh, this I signed season, an NDA, too. I'm, I'm working with a team, too. I just can't <laughs> tell you which one it is. <laughs> so then this season, we've got like nine to ten teams that are interested. Wow. And um, negotiating which ones that I'm going to end up working with. I can't work with all of them because yes. there's only one of me. Um, but we're going to be working with a small handful of teams again this year, just That's helping awesome. them on a week to week basis. And, uh, I love doing that. It's, it's a ton of fun. Cause now you can turn your ideas and concepts, not just to use like armchair quarterbacking after the fact, Oh, sure. I, th- I said they should have done did this. You can actually help the teams preventatively right. not make the mistakes and do the right things. Look, I, I was going through and I thought your section in the beginning where you're, it's like the big picture stuff, you had so many nuggets in there that I thought interesting. One, the one that I felt was the biggest one was like the early success downs and throwing on first downs and focusing on running backs and tight ends. But even I remember looking at the Kansas City Chiefs chapter and going, this defense is decimated. He, Mahomes is going to be a lot more aggressive than, than um, Alex, Alex Smith. I could invest fantasy on the Kansas City Chiefs offense. And I look back at that now and I go, man, all over it. The thing about football is, and I'm curious, football sometimes you could have all the data. It could all make sense. And then a game just goes the other fucking way. And how do you – because – I've seen a lot of analysts, they get shredded online because, oh, you said this would happen and then the score indicated otherwise. How do you process that in a game that there's not a ton of statistics, there's only 16 games? How do you balance that? Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, there's it's a small sample size, as you mentioned, and there's a lot of variance. The football bounces different ways, and we know that the team that wins a turnover battle wins 80% of these games. So yeah. you could be right on a lot of what you're saying. And the result isn't what you thought it was going to be because of a pick six or because of a turnover on the 20, sure. and then you didn't even get any points, let alone a field goal. So um, you, you just have to be diligent and thorough about what you are forecasting, and you're going to be right. I mean, if you do it the right way, you're going to yeah. be right more often than you're wrong. And at the end of the day, it's about the process as opposed to the actual results because there's so much variance. And then eventually that consistency will lead you to that vaunted 60% number, right? What's the best you've ever done? Uh, one NFL season on my totals, I hit 71%. Felt amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. how, do you, how does Warren Sharp celebrate a season after that? I I I, I, yeah. I I take I take a <laughs> I take a nap a siesta man because I work so much I work so much I'm working like till three a.m. each night during the season. Really? Yeah. yeah. What's what's a what's a Sunday for you during the season? Oh, it's like, are you charting while watching the games? Or are you just watching the games and processing? And I'm taking at... notes. I'm okay. taking notes during the game. So I've got in my office. I've got a bank of six computer monitors. Sure. And then I've got my. Uh, was it like a 10 foot uh, projection screen surrounded by monitors on either side that so I can watch yeah I put the direct TV all eight games in the yeah. box on the main TV do you watch red zone no you don't no I do I do all eight games and then I do the two side TVs so I can fit maximum of 10 games on at once and there's never more than 10 no, that are being not. played and it, but it does frustrate me when they put 
nine at the one p.m. slate, three and, or two at the four. Exactly, it's and you're nonsense. like, what is going on? Right. It's all right. Totally so ridiculous. I might be one of the only people in this world that has the capability to watch as many games as you. Like we have that set up where I can do that. How the hell do you watch all the games? Because I will put Red Zone on one just to listen to the audio. I don't watch Red Zone, but it'll catch me up if I missed a screen over there. Mm-hmm. But like, what, what's your system for watching all these games at the same time? Well, I sit, I sit dead center right in the middle of everything. <laughs> and then I kind of, week one, it's hard, right? It's an adjustment. But after that, like you the brain the picks it back up because it's like riding a bicycle. You remember, and, and you, you kind of are just aware, oh, well, these two games are on commercial and this right. game, you know, they just punted. And, and so you kind of know. So I'm constantly looking around at the different, and I rarely listen to the audio because most of the commentators, I mean, yeah, some rough. of them might listen to you. I don't want to hurt their feelings, but most of it's kind of worthless so yeah. yeah it doesn't really matter if you're not hearing what they all say sure. as long as you're catching it with your eyes and then what i do is after the games are over i'll go back you know sunday night maybe monday morning and watch a little bit Will of the watch, film like, the to cops? catch up um sometimes i'll watch the yeah, yeah i'll watch the uh quick like 30 minute yeah. the game in 30 minutes type deal I, I, I won't go back and watch the whole game unless there's something that i need to if there's an injury you got to see how the guy was carted off the field or how he got off mm. the field there's a lot of different things that you might be wanting to look into that you know yeah, the like, what, won't catch. what kind of content are you putting out after 3 a.m on sunday like what what is the material that you're making is it looking ahead already to the next week uh it's a little bit of both i'm i'm uh, working. I'm starting my work for the team, so I'm working on the reports for the teams. So and what, that devotes, what information do they want? Well, they want to know for the next week how they're going to best prepare for their opponent. So gotcha. I'm looking at the games that they just, just played. I'm looking at – I don't really look at a lot of data that goes back season long, although I will, will incorporate that. But I'm looking at like the last four weeks primarily, mm-hmm. what their team did, what the opponent did, self-scouting, what do they need to improve, looking at the defense, how are opponents attacking them, what's successful, what's not. Sure. But I, I do – I'm doing a lot of that, but then on my website, I have a stats website that's free to use. So I'm updating all that data, visualized stats site. So then everybody who wants to, you or anybody else can go there and research and look at, you know, what, what personnel groupings was this team using and how successful were they? So you can find all that information you know, on Monday for the games that were just played on Sunday. So right. a lot of the advanced charting data is available to the public. The homies know this. Part of the reason I had the Texans doing so well this year was I looked at your strength of schedule and oppositions, and I was like, this is this – is wild how easy their schedule is when I'm looking at it before the season. And the sad part was it was even easier than what it appeared to be really? because of all the backup quarterbacks that they ended up facing. I mean, oh, if you and, put and together a list too. of a list of the quarterbacks that they played, it was a dream schedule. And yeah. that's why, you know, when they went up against the Eagles, I bet the over and that game was like 33 to 30. Right. Uh, and then I knew that they were going to probably get bounced early in the playoffs because they had an easy path to get there, but yes. then they're going to have to play the Colts. Like they're an awesome opportunity to bet against for this upcoming yep. season if, if there's a little uh, kind of momentum for people there. Yeah, like sometimes and then you see the Patriots and you go man, existing in the AFC East really has been a wonder for this team for quite some time. Oh, and especially now you got the Dolphins in, in the middle of a deep rebuild getting deep rid of rebuild. Tannehill, so you know you don't know exactly what their future's going to be will they draft a quarterback this draft what, were they, what will they end up doing at the quarterback position? Sure. So um, the Jets you know, the Jets look like they've got some hope, the Colts, it all depends how Josh Allen performs there right. because he's got such a wide range of expectations. You know, he, he's got a great deep arm. What but did he's, you get your under at for the Bills? I got him at six. 
So and you, so I fucking pushed. Yeah, we got we got it at seven when I uh, first you bet it. Lucky dog. It was, but we got down. So we know some of the people out in Las Vegas who run these books. So we were able to get um, higher limits than what their normal ticket that they were going to sell at uh, South Point was three dimes. Right. We were able to get five on it. Now that's still in the grand consideration. You're yeah. going to have more than that on a regular game during yeah. the week. So to have that all tied up on just the full season. Can you long, explain dimes to everybody out it's there? It's a thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. I mean, and generally you're speaking. Uh, the the to win amount, so you're going to win five dimes. So you're betting six at the juice right, that we put right. down to to get the five. But uh, that's what you're going going to walk away with. Yeah, because the preseason bets are my most fun. I had a situation, Warren. You'll appreciate this. Last game of the year, I took over seven and a half or over seven for the Dolphins preseason and under six for the Bills and because the Bills won that game I pushed both nice it was a killer yeah that's not good but you know those those things happen I mean that's why you got to jump on them as you know like the know, earlier I, the better I, I know. but some of the times you're you are struggling to figure out exactly what you have to do or is there an injury you want to wait around for like a lot right. of times you will want to wait until that third preseason game to make sure your starting quarterback right. is going to be healthy we've but, seen it before so, so if you're going to bet an over you may want to wait unless you think the line is completely wrong. If you're going to bet an under, hey, any injury helps unless it's to like some key defensive players that yeah. would happen in the preseason or something like that. Um, all right, so I am someone – I'm a gut better. So I am someone that – like I'll look at, you know what, the Steelers right now, take it on the Raiders, this feels like a letdown kind of game. I'm going like that. When you see a lot of me, I, I'm the people that – I'm the public betting. I really am. I, I embody them to a T. Uh, but I love listening to you guys to guide to not be as public. Or I'll watch late line changes or I'll see sharp money come on. Um, what are some tips for people like me, the average public, to stop being public? What, what are a few key things that we can do to fix our game without having to have nine monitors, ten televisions, all that stuff? The easiest thing you can do is don't put what just happened with your eyeballs at the front of what you decide to do for next week's games. Because mm. everybody bets off of what they just saw. And I call a lot this of the times the Tennessee Titans rule. The Tennessee Titans are the ultimate team. They'll like beat the Patriots and then shit the bed. Next exactly. Week. So you know, especially because in in Las Vegas they do look ahead lines. Look ahead lines will tell you like the week before the game right. what the line sh they're projecting could be, and they, you can actually bet on those if you want. The limits aren't high, but you can actually bet on those. So, for example, if you saw that the Tennessee Titans were catching six and a half points uh, in two weeks against the Rams, okay. And then the week before that, they beat the Patriots at home, 30 to 13, whatever the sure. score was. And then that six and a half drops down to four. So next week, you're only getting plus four. And it was plus six and a half. Yeah. You don't want to bet the Titans at plus four because you know that there's a massive overreaction to what just happened. So right. look at the look ahead lines. And then That's a really see, good piece of the, the second one is check the very late line moves at a sports book like Pinnacle. You, there's a lot of free odd services out there. I've got one up at my website, but you can find them anywhere that right. basically chart out like what the line movement is. And it's like updated in real time. Yeah. And so you want to look for where some of the late money is going on games. When it, you say late, game kicks off at one o'clock. Are we talking noon? 
We're talking like 1245, 1250, wow. that late. Because at oftentimes, like at a book like Pinnacle, they will be begging for money on the team that you should be betting against. Mm. So they'll be giving, if they've got the best number on it, best line on a game, let's let's pretend that the line is um, the Giants are playing the uh, the Redskins. Sure. And the Giants are at home. And the Giants are laying three points, but the juice, if people know about that, yeah. is, is minus 125. You have to bet $125 to win 100 but at pinnacle it's minus three plus 100 meaning 100 gets you 100 Mm. and most of the other books are minus 120 minus 125 minus 130 they are begging you to take the giants at that cheap number wow so it's so hard to resist it it it, it would be but you don't want it you they are very sharp books so you want to see what they're begging for because that means the sharp guys are betting the other way. At so what book. you're saying right now is if if you look at the books and you're saying Pinnacle right now and is Pinnacle I guess one of these big like, time offshore big sports time books. offshore sports books. You you look at them and if you see a vig that's like really off and they're trying to invite betting at a, even at your own sports book kind of flip it a little bit. Yeah, at your own book. Yeah. Look at look at what Pinnacle's begging for. And bet the opposite way at your own book. Wow. That's so, wild. Yeah. I mean, that's just one tip. And you want to do that like very close to the time that when the game When you hear kick people off. say, Vegas just always knows, why does it seem like they're able to have such an advantage? Why is it that the public is at such a disadvantage compared to these casinos? Well, the public bets on emotion so often. The public uh, chases their losses so often. So Vegas constantly has the ability to like take in more money. I mean, that's why they're building those casinos out there so nice. So they're taking a lot of square money into the marketplace and they're charging you for it. They're making you pay the VIG, 110 to win 100, et cetera. And so you really have to be, I mean, you're not going to strike it rich. Most people are not going to strike it rich betting on sports. So you just got to be careful. Especially the NFL. Understand that you're doing it as a hobby. It's fun. Um, It's something to talk about. It's something to analyze. And now it's legalized. So making it even more fun. Uh, you talked about NFL teams contacting you. Have you ever had like an insanely wealthy person go, "I want you to be my perf- like my personal analyst"? Um, I did have one guy who is extremely wealthy, but he wants. I can't really discuss the venture that he wants to do. Sure. We haven't actually executed it, and we may not. But um, he's got an idea uh, that that would really change a lot of things around the league if he was able to do what he wanted to do. That's all I can say. But uh, there, there I ha- love that you have secrets because I can't <laughs> keep secrets, so this is great. Like, I talk too much. I have a problem. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. I mean, you get to meet a lot of people. I mean, that's what social media is so great because people have the opportunity just to reach out to you and communicate with you. When did you see your social media go from, I'm, I feel like I'm talking into the void and I have great things to say and no one's listening, to... Holy shit, Lewis Riddick is saying this is the fucking man. Like when did when did you start to see that change? I think the biggest like flip came um when the Patriots beat the Jacksonville Jaguars in the AFC Championship game in 2017 season uh, by coming from behind by 10 points. Jacksonville was up by 10 in the fourth quarter with the ball up in New England. And I just ripped the predictable play calling that Jacksonville had, and I had written about it in my book the prior year that I was worried about Nathaniel Hackett because of the way that he calls plays with a lead is going to cause this team to lose games and might even miss the Super Bowl because this team has some overall talent. like run, run, pass like some absurd amount of times. He was very very predictable like with all the series. Yeah, it was a, it was a sequence. He had three possessions in the fourth quarter. He did the same exact play calls on each of the three possessions. And of course, New England snuffed them out, right. got the ball back, ended up 
winning the game. And uh, and that was like Colin Coward started retweeting it saying, buy this guy's, I'm going to buy this guy's book next year. And <laughs> like a lot of people started, you know, following me at that point. And that really kind of led the snowball going down the hill. And then this season, what was this season like for you? Did it feel like more pressure because you knew, you knew you had more people watching? Yeah, well, it was that. Plus, it was the fact that you know, working for a team now, you want to try to help them win. And so, right. when that when you're giving t- a team advice on uh, suggestions of what to do, and they're not having success, like if they lose a game, it it was so different compared mm. to just you know watching the games myself and not having like you're like okay what could I have done differently like you're almost like you're part of the team even though yeah. you're just what could I have done differently what other things could I have analyzed were they using the stuff that I was recommending enough and and so there was like a feeling out process um, with that and then they started using the stuff a little bit more but it was I mean it was it was exciting. The whole season was just exciting awesome, because man. of the the opportunities. Uh, if you were to self scout yourself, what's something that maybe you thought was going to go one way and it didn't, or or the analytics that maybe they they lied to you in a way? Um, and I don't know. I would have to say one of the things that I thought that I would be doing now um was possibly working full time for a team. And right. actually, I was. Uh, presented a couple of those opportunities, but um, I think the consulting gig is Dude, the right fit the for me right now, and so um, that's that's where I'm at. And you get to come on shows like I this. get to do shows with you. Yeah. I get to do more media. I get to have a Twitter account because if I was working just for one team, You're I'd be vanished. Box. I'd be like off the radar completely. Ain't nobody gonna know where you are, who you are. Yeah, and we've got like now sports betting is legalized. There's so much fun stuff that we're gonna be able to talk about this yes. football season, and if. I was working for a team, I would just be, like you said, in a box somewhere off to the side. Nobody would even know what I had to say about anything to help them process the game in a little different manner and maybe try to win some money. You bet the games too, right? Well, I had in the past, but when I started working for this team, I had to officially agree not to bet the games that season. And that's understandable. So I I obviously abided by it. Did it feel weird like the first week, second week, and then afterwards it was okay? Um, You know, I, I found in this business, and you tell me if I'm right, that when you make a lot of your predictions public or you kind of put your information out there, sometimes that's enough juice to kind of feel it. I know like the money, it's, it's one way of doing it. But when I have to make my picks and I know that everybody knows my pick for that Steelers Patriots game, there's the rush there too. I'm on oh, yeah. my seat just like I had a few hundred dollars or a few dimes on it as well. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm the problem with me probably you too like we're just very competitive that's why we love sports we're just really competitive people to our core so it doesn't really matter i could be uh betting with you whether like we roll that football where it's going to fall off that table but you want to get degenerate i'll do it so so we do stuff like that you know i want to win and so it was the same way whether or not like i actually had my cash on that game i know that a lot of people are listening to what i'm saying and putting their cash on it so i'm just as like upset if it doesn't go our way Uh, and i'm just as ecstatic if it does do you get a lot of like Twitter trolls too when you when it misses something? Fortunately, not too many, and I'm not sure why yeah, that God is. But you. I think I think possibly the reason is they understand the process, like how much work I'm putting into it, and the fact that I will go out there, and the final little bit is this is what I think is going to happen. But the prequel to that is all the reasons why. Yeah. And what ends up happening for a lot of games is that let's say there's five reasons why I think a game's going to go my way uh, or go a certain way. 
I might hit four of the five and everybody can see, oh, he's right here, he's right here, he's right here. Yeah. But then he was wrong on this one and then there was an interception or there was like a horrible call that went wrong and then it barely loses. Like it was winning at halftime, but then it barely loses. Okay, this is terrible. Like we hate the fact that this lost, but at least we understand the process and it was actually slated to win, but some fluke stuff happened. And so that's the way. Your biggest win of all time. Hmm. That's tough. Uh, that's a tough one. Because don't fucking tell me there was an NDA. I don't want to hear that. No, there was no NDA. I want to celebrate with you right now. It, it, it had to have been the Super Bowl. This, this was a lucky one. Okay. This was a lucky one. But, uh, see, on the Super Bowl, you can get down a lot more money than you can on the regular sure. season game. So when the Patriots played the Falcons... I took the over in that game. Nice. And the game was obviously, what, 21 to 3 at halftime? Right. Looked like it had no chance of going over. And a lot of the sharp guys had bet the under there, but we, I, I went against them. I, I don't care what the public does or the sharp guys do. I, I obviously know that there's a, probably more value on the sharp side, so that's where I end up more often than right. not. But that's just because my models will agree with that. Right. Um, but in this case, I was riding with the public, and it didn't look like it had a chance at halftime. So, but we had a fair amount of coin on that game and luckily it was able to win late, go went to overtime and, and we won. And that was a, a, a big payday, but also it gets competitive with how the many, sharp how, groups. How much are we talking about? I can't get into that. <laughs> I can't get into that. But with the sharp groups, I mean, the, the interesting thing about like advanced level sports betting is that it, you think that we're competing against the sports books. We're really competing against the other professional groups really? to try to get down on the games at the right time and at the right number before the other groups who want to get down impact the same thing the number. impact the number. So you're always like I'm I'm not uh, racing or caring what the public does. I look at what the line is set, and then I start saying, which of the games do we want to attack, and when are we going to attack them? Right. Because we need to beat this other group that has been betting the same game or we're the last three times. Number. Or we're going to lose that number. And that's the thing that like the, the guys that I work very closely with in Vegas, we talk five, six, seven times a day wow. uh, that do this for a living. You know, We're constantly during the season talking back and forth. That is the most important thing to them, the line movement. If the game loses, they're, they're mad. Yeah. But if they got a bad number then they're even then they're going to be wor- even more mad or if they if we missed the number you know we missed the number so we have to take a worse number and then it loses oh man it's this sounds like happy. the best fantasy league of all time this sounds this sounds like the underground NFL like how many teams would you say there are like of note oh of of like pro sports betting groups yeah uh you know there's probably 10 to 15 that impact the market. Wow. Some are bigger. Like, there's obviously a couple of really big, big ones. Super whales. Well, they're like a, a conglomerate of a few different guys, and they there's so technical in nature how they get down at at, at all different sports books at the exact same time and the lines will move tremendous right. amounts because they're betting you know there's limits everywhere and especially early in the week the limits are even smaller but right. when you're forcing action at all these different books betting at the same time it all you can you change. can move the line tremendously and so there's definitely uh, one massive group that uh, influences the market and bets on the games early and moves the numbers so they're a team that they're a group that Do you're these always teams have worried. names yeah yeah. Really? Can you say them? Uh, well, the one group that I'm talking about is the poker group. They call them the poker group. Really? And, like, how does a team get built? 
Like, are you, it's not like pick up at the Y. Like, how do you, how no, do you I mean, find people? You, you get you get uh, a network of people, a couple sharp guys. They want to raise a bunch of money. Um, they have they, they, they team up together. And there's been a couple groups that have been built within the last, like, three to five years of very And how do you know if somebody should be on your team? Like, how do you, like, if you see someone, they're like, I got a lot of money and I'm a sharp. Like, how can you prove that? How do you know that they have the goods? You the the main thing if somebody comes to you and right. if if they've got money then and they want to help I will bet the games for you or those types of things oh, then I then see. you know like they they're going to be the ones Are getting you down. You tell the me money. there's like 15 other Warren Sharps out there that all these other teams have. Many of them, there are other people like me. I don't know that they they have the algorithm, the analytics side of it like mm. I do, but they definitely have the algorithm side of it like I do. And uh, there, so there are different people on different teams, very similar to what I do. And yeah. are there algorithms around the numbers, or is it around actual football, like st- like statistics and charting all that stuff? Some of it is play by play. You know, it depends what different people you put into their models. I mean, the more ah. sophisticated ones will incorporate play by play data for sure. Wow. Have you ever like, has it ever been like a, you're walking down the streets like Benny and the Jets or whatever, and you're like, you see another group and like they're going to a window and your guys are going to a window? No, see, fortunately, I'm, I'm back here, so I don't you're have to worry about it. I'm, I'm on stuff. the East Coast. So it's one of the good things about being away from Las Vegas is that I can focus on my work right. in, my, in my bunker, just churning away on my algorithms and watching film. And, and not get caught up at all. And, that and not get caught up in any of the... So there, I'm sure there's process. been times though where you guys are getting ready to put in on a number and all of a sudden the number changes and you're Plenty like freaking poker group. Oh, it, yeah. Trust me, more often than not, it happens so many times and the other thing that we can't understand that very that's infuriating is like when when a team like a line's being bet up. Like let's say uh a great example last year, the Saints played the Cowboys, and the yes. total is getting bet up because it looks like, oh, the Saints are a high-powered team. The Cowboys this is like a Thursday night game, Thursday right? night yeah. game, and ended ten to thir- uh, thirteen to ten. Dallas won as, in a big underdog, yeah. I think plus seven or something. But I hit that, that one. That line was getting the total. All of a sudden, got hammered to the under early. And we're like, why won't these guys just wait? Let the public bet this higher and then get the under at a better number. But a lot of these guys are so based on their computer model that we'll as soon as it, it hits a certain point, they'll take it. Whether or not the number that they're betting, like under 48, has value versus 47 and a half or not, if, if it gets to 48, we're betting it. Or if it gets to 50, we're betting it. Even yeah. though like if they waited till it got to 51, that's a much more valuable number to bet the under at. But they're just so... You know, it, it does See, get very that's frustrating. Where, that's where I'm so funny because I'll be like, you, the value between a 48 and a 51 is like epic, right? I'm sitting there going, if if I would have bet the under 51, I would have bet it at 48. Like that. That's why I'm just a public Joe. I feel it in my bones. Well, sometimes sometimes the number matters. I mean, it's rare that like uh, you would if 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 my model, for instance, for instance, said the number should be 51 and a half, right? I'm not going to bet the under if the under is sitting at 52. There's just not enough value there. Mm. But if so, that's where, like, if the number was 53, then I'm betting it. If the number is 52, then I'm not. And you might say, well, the number is 51. I'd like the under just because I like the under. If these two teams, you could set the total, whatever, as long as it's not 37, I'm betting the over because I just think, you know, or I'm betting the under because I just think this line's too high. Right. So, yeah, it's. 
value is very big. You look at the NFL now through a prism, and and you have all your graphs and your charts, and and I it's very easy to see visually. Again, I would implore you to go to sharpfootballanalysis.com. Just play around. Like, mess around with the different sliders and check out different things. And if you have a favorite team, kind of check out your own team. See what they're successful at. See what they're not successful at. It's it's a fun way to look at football. Who do you think in the NFL? Is it is it the Patriots and everybody else? In terms of analytics? Just in, yeah, in terms of looking at the, the game sort of the way that you do and at the way maybe it should be going. I think there's a few other teams. I mean, uh, like the Eagles and some of the things Howie Roseman's doing with the front office there. Well, I know and that attracting comp picks. Your thing on comp picks lately, I think, has caught a lot of attention. Just the availability of getting picks by not spending a lot in free agency, letting certain guys walk, making trades and getting picks, and that doesn't mess up your models. And then also signing guys that were released during free agency. And the last three years since Howie got back, you've shown they're right up there with the Patriots. They're getting more value than the Patriots thus far through this offseason. Yeah, through this offseason they have. And one of the things, I mean, like the Eagles, Howie didn't have control when Chip Kelly was there. So once he got control back from Chip, they did they were more active in free agency, which meant they didn't have as many comp picks. But Howie, even yesterday at some of the owners' meetings, was talking about the value of comp picks and how they're playing that game to yeah. try to get those picks. So it is there. There's analytics at so many different levels. It's at the front office. It's in free agency. It's it's with trades. It's at the team level. It's yeah. with roster building. It's with game management. It's with fourth quarter timeout decisions. It's with uh, play calls. Sure. It's like so many different levels of it. And there are definitely teams besides the Patriots that are getting much better at, at rolling it all up and incorporating it. I worry that the teams at the very low end of the spectrum, you know, teams like the Arizona Cardinals mm. and teams that are bad, like they're more invested in like their new coaches or the coaches on the hot seat. Those guys aren't going to be like all of a sudden wanting to jump into analytics. No. So they're not going to have the edges that the really good coaches who have got long track records might be like, we know how hard it is to win. We want every freaking edge possible to yeah. be able to win some of these games. And so those guys are going to invest more in analytics. And that's why I view this as like more, it, it's potential to become more of like the haves and the have nots where the teams that are using the analytics more and diving more into it are the better teams to begin with. Right. And so they're going to continue that dominance. Whereas the teams that are bad where coaches are fighting and, you know, there's a lot of turnover there. Those teams might be like, you know, they aren't going to incorporate analytics as how much. How many haves do you think we have right now? I'd say probably around seven to eight. Can you like who would they be? So Eagles, Patriots, uh, Eagles, Patriots. I think the Colts. Um, I think the Chiefs are pretty good uh, yeah. from that perspective. They pass a lot on first down. Um, let's see. Over in the NFC, I would have to say. Um, I think that the Saints are a little bit, you know, sure. the Saints are a little bit there, although they're not playing the comp pick game. They don't no, play the comp. They haven't had comp all. picks at all, but they're doing a lot um, with some of the ways that they utilize their players. Um, let's see. It's, it, it is a tough question to name them all, but those are like five, I think we listed right there. Is it there. easier to name the have-nots than the haves? Yeah, I mean, the, the have-nots, like even a team like the Baltimore Ravens, right? They're a very good team, but they... And, and, and the Seattle Seahawks, okay, it is possible to be a good team and to be focused on some of the things that aren't that successful, mm. but you have a pretty good roster and you've got a good schedule and injury luck's going your way. Yeah. And so you're able to win games. I mean, the, the, the way that the Ravens are building themselves with Lamar Jackson, a lot of the ground game, obviously we know rushing is not as efficient as passing, but when you create like such mismatches because no other team plays like that and the defense has to adjust for one week to figure out how to yes. stop you. But the problem is, 
because their ceiling is very limited because they're not going to get, at least last year especially, they're not going to get 14-point leads on teams. You know, sure. like the games are going to be tighter, and so one fumble can turn everything we saw against the Chargers in the right. playoffs. Um, a team like the Seattle Seahawks, you know, they won a lot of games last year, but then when they go to the playoffs and they're playing another good offense and they're trying to stick with their, we want to run the football, and they're playing a good run defense, and then right. they keep running it even though the run's not working. Like you got to adapt But what about the philosophy. Patriots? Because I thought this was the year of the Patriots where they kind of moved to a power-running scheme. Well, what the Patriots did is they use a lot of 21 personnel with the run back out there on the field, James right. Devlin. And most teams don't play 21 personnel. And so it catches the defense off guard with, hey, this fullback's in here and they're going to run power offense at us. And so you're able to do a lot of different things out of that. Like they still pass the ball a lot sure. out of that. But the way the Patriots work, if it's in their best interest to run the ball, they're going to run the ball. And if it's in their best interest to pass the ball, they're going to pass it. If they play a top five run defense, they're going to come out the first series and try to run the ball a little bit. If it doesn't work, Tom Brady's throwing 50 passes in that game the rest how, of the way. How many other teams are able to adjust like they are? No one. That's the one clear thing that the Patriots have such dominance at, is the confidence in the coaches and the, what they've taught the players that they can adapt a game plan and modify it on the spot, drop a brand new type of play, and have perfect confidence that it's going to get Man. executed and carried out the rest of the way. It's like very few other teams to watch. It's it's um, incredible. Yeah, is that just like because we we've talked so many times about Belichick in his head, this encyclopedia of all the plays that have ever been called, and knows exactly what to do, and he's just sitting there with his card and his pencil, and he's like, "We're going to change this, and we're going to change that." Can it really all just be that one man? I think he's got a very good staff behind him, you know, like uh, that that are behind the scenes. I mean, Josh McDaniels is a very smart of offensive course, coordinator, of course. Of course. Um, they cycle a lot of defense coordinators through there, you know, and some of them don't have quite as much success when they leave the yeah. leave the Patriot system, but. Um, it's a lot easier to look better when you got Tom Brady and Bill Belichick's offense yeah. on the other side of you. Uh, but Bill, Bill, Bill Belichick, probably the best coach in NFL history. You know, Walsh uh, was amazing, too. I mean, there's a few that are up there, like at the pinnacle, but um, Bill Belichick is incredible, especially in this day and age of, like, free oh agency. Gosh. You know, you, you don't – it's in the salary cap. You know, the, the things that they've been doing, part of it is, you know, they've been able to work great deal for Tom Brady. He doesn't hit the cap for, you know, even a top 10 quarterback. And Gronk wasn't even hitting the cap for more like a top five tight end, even though they're both clearly the best at their positions in the NFL. That's what's wild is from a cap building team perspective to get what they've gotten out of Brady and Gronk. I don't know if we'll ever see again. And, and I typically will always stand for the players. I, we call this the players podcast because I want these guys to get paid. I I see the human element. You know, I look at Le'Veon Bell go, no, he needs guaranteed money because of the position and the injuries and all that stuff. And I look at Gronk and I'm sitting there on set and I'm with Tony Delk and I'm with Andy Katz and all these and, and Gronk retired. And I go, guys, he played nine years. How much money do you think Gronk made over nine years? Someone said, a hundred, ninety, I got him at 85, 59 million dollars over nine years. That's nothing. That's, that's like, it's like six and a half million dollars a year so the, for the best tight end of all time, Warren. The, the Patriots were great at the foresight where the, he only played two years and he had two years left on his deal. After the first two years, they signed him to a six-year extension. Yeah. But the fact that Gronk, like so many players around the league, did not beg or hold out for a new contract. He was yeah. under contract on that second deal for eight years because it added 
six to the two before. Right. So we had an eight-year deal that went through 2019, and he did not hold out once. He did not say that he's underpaid once. The last two years, 2017, 2018, they added some incentives to his deal, but that's it. He kept yeah. the same cap hit. He kept the same base salary, and, and that just doesn't happen. I mean, you see Le'Veon, you see Antonio. That's just yeah. a one team, you know, complaining, and they're like greats amongst their position, but definitely not the clear-cut best like Gronk is. It makes me... My conspiracy theory is, well, Kraft is hooking him up outside the game. Uh, then the other part of me is sometimes I get a little upset at Gronk. I go, if anybody that was supposed to up the tight end market, it was supposed to be him. Because I'm looking at the salary cap going up every year, and I know what I'm saying is awful strategy for a team. Awful. But I think about all, I think about Kelsey, I think about all these other tight ends that I want to cash in, but all those teams can go, well, Gronk only made 59. Right, it's the ultimate leverage point now for every team because he's freaking grunk. It's crazy to me, but that's the Patriots. And I think when you buy into a system, uh, Trent Brown, we had him on, and his episode came out on Tuesday, and he said, "When I went to the Patriots, I fell in love with the game again." And that's the other thing that these other teams can't give them. They walk into the locker room. There's no bullshit. It's it's like Ray Diallo and. Um, his investment firm, where they don't have any corporate politics because everybody just speaks their mind all the time. You go to New England, Tom Brady is right there in the meeting, sitting in the front row. There's no nonsense, and that's part of the value. And you know you have a chance to win a championship every year. So as a player, you want to be a part of that. But crazy. So Patriots are up there. uh, Eagles are up there. Um, You want to do some news with me really quick? What, What did you think of Gronk retiring? And, and from think, analytics perspective, how great of a tight end was he? I mean, he's clear-cut the best. I mean, he's he's better than most wide receivers, mm-hmm. like in terms of his yards per attempt and his success rate. So, I mean, he's he's just ridiculous. And the fact that he did it with such longevity year after year after year, the problem is his body kind of gave out on him. Right. And he was going – he was less productive in 2018, obviously, and that's probably one of the reasons why he wanted to walk sure. away when he still had a little bit more of the health. Plus, he's going to have – I heard he didn't even spend a dollar of that $59 million, no. and he's been living off endorsements. Now he's going to have a lot more opportunity to make more money on endorsements. So yeah. uh, there's still upside, and he always has the chance to come back. Look, his salary cap, his cap hit for the Patriots this year, I think was going to be 11 or $12 million, uh. and it was the number one highest cap hit of any tight end. So now what the Patriots get to do is they get to take that $12 million, yep. Stick it back, invest it in other players. Obviously, they may have to draft a tight end to replace him, right? But now, if Gronk comes back later in the season, they don't have to give him a cap hit of that much money. So they they could still have him for the playoffs, save all that cap hit. I mean, it could end up working in the Patriots' favor long term. I think it will be. I, I, when Rosenhaus came out the next day and said, hey, if Tommy calls him up middle of the season, I could see him making a comeback. I went, that's happening. Why would you float that out? Like, in what interest does Rosenhaus have going? It's not like he said Gronk can sign with another team. He just said that team. I, I think it's 100% happening, Warren. Do you hey, feel with, with me there? Do I you feel agree? like I, I don't know the 100, but I think it's above 50. I yeah, really you're, do. You're more, see, I just throw out numbers. <laughs> um, all right, so I have to do a little bit of, whoa, big off season. These are stories that uh, get a lot of attention, and they're not really stories, and I can't believe we're talking about them. We are in the midst of the greatest Woe Big offseason season I've ever seen. Offseason. Two weeks ago, Cam Newton came out and said he's going vegan. And we have had a long history on this program, Warren, of guys going vegan. And 
I think it's actually shown that it's it's not worked in the NFL. Uh, it's been negative for Demarius Thomas, uh, Adrian Peterson. I think it was a joke. Theo Riddick, but like all these stories, and every single one of them have had issues as their careers gone on. But then he's on the James Corden show, and he says he's not climaxing for the entire month of April, not taking care of himself, not having sex, anything. And it's all to test his mental strength. Cam Newton already is going to go into the whoa big offseason Hall of Fame. Um, the strategy is interesting. I guess the question I ask myself is, could I have that mental fortitude? Um, I just met you. I don't think I can do it. I think that if Cam is able to do this, I worry about the first guy that's going to try and tackle him this season. Because the amount of strength, and I don't know if you can chart this, that he's going to take out on a linebacker is going to be immense. But I'm also worried, is Cam having a mental breakdown? Is this like a midlife crisis right now? Is it because he's seeing Norv Turner and he's like, I have to play with this guy? Again? Like, what, like, what's going on right now in Cam's head that he's changing everything? I don't have the answer. I'm just amazed by what Cam's doing, Warren. I really am. I agree. I don't know that there's any realistic reason for this, except just like a ridiculous challenge for himself. Yeah. You know, um, to to like you said to see what he's going to do. But I, it's it's real life Seinfeld, to be honest with you. Yes. You know the 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 bet with George and Elaine. And, yes. You know there there's a few different episodes of Seinfeld that touch on. I'm out. Yeah. T- yeah. Touch on various different yeah. things. But remember when George, I guess, abstained and became intel extremely intelligent. Elaine did the and same. Elaine... And became really stupid. Right. And and that was just a hilarious episode. And uh, and then and then George finally You're speaking my language with Seinfeld. George right? finally got lucky, and then and then became just an idiot, I believe. After yes, that. So, of course. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I want to see what Cam's mental acuity is after this, and wow. then then measure it. You know, to what happens. They they should do. Um, he should take uh, Wonderlicks and a bunch of other like mental take tests. A Wonderlick everything right they do at the April, combine and right. then right after April. Yeah, yeah. Give him like give him like a week of being back to normal. I love and it. And then and then test him again. I just, yeah, all of a sudden he's just like taking pictures inside the library and he has an engineering degree all of a sudden. He's doing online courses at Phoenix. I, I'm i so curious. Um, and then I'm gonna, all these stories, I want to break it down to the, like the Panthers. What did you think of how they approached the season last year? ton of Christian McCaffrey catching the ball. Did you like what they did? They started off so strong, it imploded in Pittsburgh, and then it was an epic collapse the rest of the way. How did you see their season going uh, before the injury, I guess? Yeah, that I, changed everything. It, it did change at the very end. Um, I think overall it was a about what we expected, you know. I I thought that um, Norv did better than some people anticipated, myself included. Yeah, yeah I was and, very questioning of that. Hunter. And and I think they did a great job with incorporating Cam into that style and getting him to do stuff that he wasn't doing in the past under his prior coordinators. Uh, the usage of Kristen McCaffrey and using him a lot of the backfield as a pass catcher was obviously great. I mean, they didn't have the best weapons at wide receiver either, so they may do with a lot of things in a very difficult division. Um, I think they had a overall like a fairly successful season and I think that's why you know all the coaching staff except yeah. for the defense corner is back for this upcoming season so I think they need to build on that my concern is Christian McCaffrey's usage you know right. that they're going to scale that and ratchet that down they said we think he can run between the tackles and a lot of people said oh you're crazy you can't do that in the NFL but then he was having success but the problem was they got, used him so much in the run game plus the pass game that over you know if you want this guy to be your running back yeah. through this contract and into the next one 
you need to like massage him a little bit more and and give some rest to him a little bit this more. This is often. like the Evan Silva section of the pod where we talk about running backs and Saquon Barkley and taking him number two overall, but also like with Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara. These guys are so phenomenal, and I think that they can be more dangerous than an X receiver or a Z receiver. How are they supposed to use them? How do you not give that guy the ball every time? How? What, what do you think? How do you stretch that out but also maximize the potential? Yeah, you call run plays when it's an optimal situation to run the football. So you don't waste run plays, which are going to give – anytime you're running, you're running back up the middle. Sorry, uh, my nose is running. I was outside with Josh in 30-degree weathers and I weather, and I may be sick. So if I keep touching my nose, I apologize. All right, I'll, I'll just – I would just, just stay over that, there. Okay, so I'll keep my distance, but what, what – what I think that they should be doing is run the ball when it's optimal. Don't run it when it's not. And when you're running the football, so there's different times. To, Do you to mean run like it. not on second and ten? Not on second and ten. Gotcha. Don't run the ball as much when you're backed up inside your own twenty. Like those are actually plus EV situations to pass the football. Uh, coaches get conservative. Oh, we need to run the ball. But if you want to get a first down and not have to punt the ball back and give your opponent good field position, yeah. you're going to want to pass the ball because those are situations where the defense tends to play run. Mm. So you want to run when the defense is playing pass, and you want to pass when the defense is possibly playing run. Right. And you want to be using your running back intelligently as a receiver out of the backfield and running in these optimal situations, which include short yardage, red zone, not as much first and 10. Like you, you just, there's ways that you can optimize like and increase. The, yeah. You need to increase your running backs longevity in his career, but not anytime you're running through your own offensive line and then the defensive line yeah. and then linebackers, it's a lot of people falling at your running back, mm. trying to hit him. You throw the ball to this guy out on the perimeter, he sees, heads up to the guy who's trying yeah. to tackle him, can make a move, make one escape, miss. escape, run out of bounds. Yeah. There's a lot of ways that you can decrease the amount of hits that he takes if you use him more in the passing I'm game. really concerned about Saquon. Like, his legs are right behind you right now. Uh, if you go all the way, and uh, they're a marvel of human existence. Those are those are impressive. Yeah, I saw him at Sloan. He was a beast. <laughs> but... With Odell gone, like I'm really concerned about Saquon this season. Like very concerned. Because if they're gonna act this I don't want to say Neanderthalish, but behind in the times, I think they're just gonna pound the rock like four hundred times with him next season. The problem is it's a lose lose because you've got Eli Manning at quarterback. So if you draft a quarterback and you got a young guy out there who ends up starting at some point during the year. You're going to want to run the ball because right. he's not experienced. But you got Eli, who doesn't have Odell and doesn't have a strong arm. Right. You're going to need to run the ball to keep him protected. So it's a lose-lose situation. It's a lot of Saquon uh, carries. Um, all right. Another, whoa, big offseason. The opposite of Cam Newton going vegan is Jameis Winston wanting to bulk up to 250 to handle the hits. I remember when Jameis first came out, there was that one picture of fat Jameis where he was dropping back and it looked like he had a gut. I'm all in on fat Jameis. Not saying that I think he's going to have a great season, but there's obviously an insert crab crab legs joke here. But I'm just imagining Jameis constantly eating in practice and constantly eating in the meeting room and just going around and like launching his own line of ribs. I don't know why I find Jameis, when he's not doing off-the-field things that really scare me and I find grotesque, to be somewhat funny. And I think him ballooning up to 250... It sounds like the worst idea I've ever heard, but I still want to see it. Not my team. 
Yeah, I don't know what how how what is he at now? I mean, like right. I bet that he's played probably close to two fifty before. Right. So I don't know exactly what we're talking about. I've here. always assumed he's in like the two thirty fives, two forties. I think at a certain age, right? It's never a good idea to put on weight, like no. just to put on weight. Like who it, we, says we, that? We ever? know we know that that's not great. Um, I know that Bruce Arians with Ben Roethlisberger when they were together. Now Bruce is down in Tampa, right. of course. Like. Ben was getting hit a lot. So, you know, they, they ah. maybe he's like doing that to try to prepare himself to play quarterback in Bruce Arians' offense, which right. requires him to hang in the pocket and take more hits. But does does adding like five pounds of fat to your gut, is that going to save you from getting somebody <sighs> diving at your knees? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. So I look at Jameis and, I mean, where is he in terms of like looking at quarterbacks analytically? His decision making sometimes is the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah, if you could process decision making, I can create a variable for that. Right. He would be near the bottom. But his in terms of his passing and some of the success that he's had yeah. in Tampa over the last few years, he's actually not been bad. Not been bad. Better than what most people would anticipate uh from him in terms of some of his actually and his passing numbers, yards per attempt. But, but it's keep when in he mind, starts rolling around. Yeah, he, he he does so many stupid things. But he also has a plethora of talent there. You know, they oh, had Deshaun, yeah. they had Chris Godwin, they have great tight ends like uh Mike Evans. So yeah. I mean, they are like some, you know, your quarterback is a product of your coordinator, mm. the play calls, and the talent surrounding you. And he had a ton of great receivers surrounding him. Unbelievable. Uh, and then the, this is the most interesting, whoa, big offseason. Jay Gruden, we're staying with food again. Jay Gruden on Colt McCoy. He drinks a gallon of milk every day. And I think it's the milk that's not pasteurized either. Quote, I think it's right out the teat. This guy is a nut job. Colt McCoy could be the starting quarterback of Washington next season. And apparently he drinks a gallon of milk every day. We've seen this with like Jim Harbaugh before. People that are obsessed with milk in this era where people don't even drink cow's milk. Um, I don't know how that came up, Warren. And I don't know why it came up, and I don't know if it makes me more or less confident in Colt McCoy as a quarterback. Well, I think he's doing it because of the injury to his leg, you know, uh, and 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 trying to get the extra calcium. But there's a thing right now called like supplements, and you could take pills that yes. are just pure calcium. I don't understand. And, and, and animal milk, like, is is. I don't know. Some people don't react very well to it. Like I it's, don't. it's a foreign it tears thing, me apart. And, and so it causes some problems, lactose, etc. So I don't really know if it's the smartest idea to take on another like seemingly unnecessary challenge. If you want to increase the calcium, take a supplement. This is uh, I've never seen a coach more dead man walking than Jay Gruden, and it's been a very interesting week. He had uh, he looked dead in the picture of the coach's photo, literally, uh, and then now he's got this quote about milk. And this entire season with Alex Smith maybe never going to play football again, maybe trading up for a quarterback, it just feels like it's like the Dwayne Wade farewell tour for Jay Gruden. Like it's it seems like it's a foregone conclusion he's done. And we just get to watch him suffer all year long. Well, you know, they said that he was hearing about the free agent moves through social media. The, they weren't even consulting him on any of that, Yeah, uh, which is totally bizarre. I mean, George Allen, uh, the, 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 I guess he's like the VP, but he's calling the shots there. Bruce Allen. Bruce, Bruce Allen, Allen. I'm sorry. That's his dad, George. Bruce Allen, not 
very smart and savvy when it comes no, to at all. making moves. And the team has like got the third worst record in the NFL since he took over. Right. And and then to suggest that like we want him to buy all the ingredients for the coach just makes absolutely no sense. And then Jay, you're right. I mean, it's like a sad situation and I think it was yeah. just personified in that team photo. All right, so uh, my last thing is you're very good at predictive data. The guy, the announcer that's been all about predicting is Tony Romo. And Tony Romo is about to navigate an amazing negotiation. Come out, and there are stories right now that he's looking for a contract worth $10 million per year, which would make him the highest paid sports analyst of all time. He's going into his third season, so his contract's coming up soon. Talk about hitting the market at the right time. And then when I read the story that he, it's not about going to another network. He might just want to stop. There's part of me that wants Tony Romo to do three years and then be done. And be and he'll go down as one of the greatest announcers that's ever been there because it's been so impactful through those three years. Being an announcer is not as glamorous as it may seem. It's a lot of traveling. You're not home at all. He's got a lot of young kids. Really, he's the first announcer I've ever seen that's celebrated. Usually you're picked apart, all your mistakes. But I think he's worth $10 million per year. I really do. Like, I can't imagine how much Jim Nance is getting paid. But... If, if Gruden was getting in the sixes and sevens, and Tony Romo has now worked himself into where when he says something, we all believe it. And we kind of go, well, who would you want on the call? I'd like Tony Romo on the call. I, I'm, I'm also curious what you think of his predicting of plays throughout his career thus far. I might be a little bit different than the typical f- sports fan. Yeah. But I want to be taught. Mm. I want somebody who's going to give me information. Whether I'm listening to your show, I'm listening to football on Sunday on right. the radio. I want somebody who's going to educate me a little bit so that I can leave that having enjoyed it. Like I yeah. want a good experience. Yeah. But I also want to walk away with like this sense that like I didn't waste my time. Like I actually maybe learned something that I'll be able to use in the future. Tony Romo does that. He yes. provides that education to the common fan. I love it. The fact that he's pressing and is able to predict a lot of the play yeah. calls I think is fun. It's fun. It's like a roll of dice. Is Tony going to be right? Oh, my God, he's right again. Right. So that's like a other element you're right. of being he'll, fun. He'll identify formations. He'll identify motion. He'll say, you got to look here, and if that's not open, go. He's so good at breaking down plays afterwards. I thought that was what Gruden did really well. But then Gruden kind of became a caricature of himself later on, bringing in, like, smoothies and hot dogs and all that stuff. But in the beginning, he was showing us things we hadn't seen before. Colin, uh, Chris Collinsworth, I feel like, kind of goes through and – don't you love this? It, he's like an appreciation of the game, but he's very good, I think, at identifying like in the trenches, showing the blockers and missing all that stuff. And then who am I? Aikman and Buck is a talk show. Like that has to be your least favorite one of the four. But you don't have to say anything. I can speak because I don't really care. But I think Tony Romo has put himself into a position where two years ago I doubted him. I didn't know if he was going to be good at this. And now – I don't think it's crazy that he's looking for $10 million a year. The way I always feel about money is that you need to – obviously, he needs to go after what he thinks he's worth. Of course. But if there's no cap, there's no cap on announcers, then – Pay what you need yes. to get him on board right. because the people care about it and want to hear about it. That's why yes. when, you, when you're when you coaching a team and or you're the owner of a team, 
why wouldn't you want to pay a bunch of coaches and bring in a lot of talented coaches? Absolutely. It doesn't hurt the salary cap at all. At so all. Uh, you, you have to work within the parameters of the salary cap. But apart from that, pay your people. So pay Tony Romo whatever you think yes. you, he, he's worth to get him in there because he's going to keep eyeballs on your You're talking broadcast. to the guy that last year thought the Giants should have paid $20 million a year to get Belichick. And if he wanted 30 I'd give him 30 what, What's it to the Maris, really? Who cares? Know? I mean, and, and what it's going to do to your franchise, the eyeballs, and then also the longevity of success afterwards – Absolutely. Warren, this was an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you. Again, follow him on social media at Sharp Football. Check out his website, sharpfootballanalysis.com. I hope this is not the last time I talk to you. I'd like to pick your brain even more. But thank you for making me a better better. And uh, I'm going to sound smarter when I talk to people later today. So I appreciate it, pal. Let's do it again. I would fist bump you, but you've witnessed me today, and it's disgusting. Uh, Warren, you're the man. Uh, To the homies, I am the L-E-F-K-O-E man. I will see you guys on Tuesday. Keep kicking ass. Keep being great people. Holler at you soon.